Hi, my name is Mark Riggins, and I'm pastor here at LifePoint, located in Plano, Texas, and we meet here every Sunday at 1030, and we are here for your family. I hope today's message is an encouragement to you. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God, Acts 15, 19. Good morning, Life Point. I would love for us to say this new memory verse in this new series. Would you stand with me? And you can just read it today. Eventually, we'll have this memorized. Would you out loud just say this verse together? It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Acts 15, 19. Let's pray. Father, today, there may be a lot on our hearts, and you're more aware of what's on our heart than we are. You're here with us in this room. God, if nothing else, as a result of our time together today, help us see people the way you see people. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Hey, I wanted to to just, as we begin thinking about the size of the scope of this world, because of national media, we are very aware of everything that's going on in the world. And you may not know that there are almost eight billion people in the world. And as we look around the world, we see the diversity of people, don't we? We see people who are different based on their political views. We see people who are different based on their ethnicity, based on their nationality, based on the kind of food that they eat, based on the kind of music that they listen to, based on the way they view things around the church or faith, the way they view specific issues that might be different than the way you view them or the way that I view them. But here's the one thing we all have in common. We all tend to judge people who see things differently than the way we see them. It's this weird, stubborn, thorny weed that grows in the heart of every human being, me included, that we tend to judge people who see things differently than I see them, than you see them. I'll give you an example because many of you are here and you experience this all the time because there's something a little bit different about you that causes you to get that side-eye judgment glance from other people every once in a while, right? You know what that is? And it's that thing when you're in a room and it's just a little bit different, people just go, huh. And you don't feel, huh, as in that's cool. You feel, huh, as in, I don't know if I like that, right? I remember when I was a little kid, I was raised in a home with a lot of love but not a lot of money. And I would go to school and I had the free lunch card. I don't know if any of you ever had that. And that meant it was a different color than everybody else's lunch card. And every time I would pull that out, I would feel that side-eyed glance. And it just felt a little bit different. Like, okay, there's something that's unique about you that doesn't feel applaudable, right? You, some of you are here today and maybe you don't normally go to church and you're here today and you're thinking, I just feel different from everybody else They sing about songs I don't know, about verses I don't know, and and, and they seem to know things I don't know, and you just feel a little bit out of place. Can I just tell you, you are so welcomed here. As we are all on a journey together, and as we often say, we're just beggars pointing other beggars to where the food is. It's all about Jesus at the end of the day. None of us have this thing figured out. We're all learning it together. If you're new here, you are welcomed here. Whatever is in your past, whatever you're going through, whatever you've done, whatever you're doing, you are welcome here. And I want you to know that. But here's what I also want us to all recognize. Not only do we sometimes feel out of place because we feel that side-eyed glance from somebody else, we feel that little bit of judgment from somebody else, We tend to look down on other people who see things differently than we do. We've also been the one who has done the judging, right? 
Like I remember when I was in college and in and, and my undergrad, I, I loved music. In fact, I was a music major in my undergrad and I had an opinion about music. It wasn't necessarily the right opinion, but it was a strong opinion. You ever know people like that? Uh, that's where I was. And so I'll, I'm just going to confess and some of you are immediately going to cut me off the rest of the message and I don't blame you, but I wasn't a fan of country music. I know some of you are already like you just folded your arms. I don't blame you. And so I was at a place where people also weren't a fan of country music. In fact, I remember my professor, day one, music composition came in at University of Texas. He walks in and he said, okay, today I'm going to teach you the one, four, and five chords. At the end of the class, he said, oh, okay, I taught you the one, four, five chords on day one. And here's why. Because if you're planning on learning country music, you're done. The rest of us, we have four years to do an education. And I know that's very snobby and that's just the environment. It is what it is. I married a wonderful wife who's much more open-armed about all this and so she's helped me grow. But I'll tell you, that's the way I saw it, right? People who saw music differently than me, I looked down on. As I got older, I'll be honest with you, I grew up in an era where Christianity often was more focused on rules and we were known for what we were against instead of the people that we were for. And so I went through a season of my life where I kind of looked, if I even sensed legalism in someone or somebody who was very rules focused, I tended to be very frustrated with them or their kind of people, right? I would immediately put them in a box and I would kind of look down on them because I, I was so anti that, that because they saw it differently than me, I tended to look down on them. All I'm saying is there are about a million different ways we can look down on other people. There are about a, a billion different boxes we can put people in. And we tend to put people in boxes because we want to be able to go, okay, now I can dismiss you in some way. And it is a human nature thing. This isn't, this isn't like, oh, you're not holy thing. This is a let's be real thing, right? That this is something that we all do. And what I want to really encourage you as we talk about what we're going to talk about today is resist the temptation to, to think this. Man, I hope so-and-so is listening today. I'm going to forward them the link to this because they really need to hear it, right? I want you to just do what I need to do. And just go, God, is there something I need to address in my own heart? And let this just be for you today as we look at what God's word has to say about this issue. Because today we get to revisit a man who shows up in our story as we're going through the book of Acts, which is the first 30 years after Jesus rose from the dead. It's the, it's the story of the church. It's our story, this wonderful book of Acts. And there's this one hero in the story. His name is the Apostle Peter. You may remember him. Every time the apostles are listed in the New Testament or in the book of Acts, Peter's name is listed first. He's like the hero. He's the one, you remember, who had a brother named Andrew who Jesus came to and said, all right, you're both fishermen, but now you're going to follow me. And so he did. And then he eventually is the one who, when Jesus said in Matthew 16, who do people say that I am? It's Peter who speaks up first and says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus goes, ah, you're not smart enough, Peter, on your own to figure that one out. God told you that. And it's upon that truth that I'm going to build my church. And you're going to see it unfold throughout the book of Acts. And then it's Peter who later on, Isaac spoke about this just three weeks ago, who was the only one in the boat who got out of the boat and walked on water. It's that Peter who's so courageous, but it's also that Peter who 
failed famously. If you remember in the days of the crucifixion, he didn't deny Jesus once, but he denied him three different times publicly. But it's Peter who, when Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to Peter first of all the apostles. It's Peter who gets to see him first after the ladies who were faithful enough to be there way earlier than Peter ever got there. And then it's Peter who Jesus shows up to on the Sea of Galilee and he says, do you love me? He asks him three different times and Peter says, yes, yes, yes. He says, then I have a purpose for you. I want you to go and feed my sheep. And then he's the one, if you remember in Acts 2 and Acts 3, he speaks forward and he begins to preach and thousands, it says 3,000 people come to know Jesus. He is the apostle Peter, one of the heroes of Christianity, one of the early leaders in the church. And yet he struggled with some people who were different from him and he diminished them. I find encouragement in that. This is a holy follower of Jesus who struggled with the same thing that I struggle with and you struggle with. And scripture decided to highlight it for a reason. And as we're going through it, we get to look at it today. And I just want to encourage you. Let it be, God, what do you want me to see in this today? Today, this issue gets addressed and in many ways uprooted in the apostle Peter's story. So if you've got your Bibles, I want you to see this because it's very practical to where we live today. Acts chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, we've got a Bible in the pew beside you there. Just pick that up. You can go to the table of contents, find the book of Acts and turn with me to chapter 10. Let me give you context real quick. At this point, the early church, it's only about five or six years old. So we're early in the process. And so far, we need to give the Apostle Peter a bit of grace here because so far, he's actually been the one who's been very embracing of the Samaritans who were considered to be half Jewish, a little bit different ethnicity than Peter himself. And yet he's quick to embrace them. Also, those who were a lower social status than him or lower economic status than him, it was a profession called the tanners, and he's embracing them. So it's not as if he diminishes everyone, but there is one category that Jews uh, uh, traditionally diminished, and Peter just hasn't been able to welcome them in yet. And you might be able to guess who they are. They are the Gentiles. You see, back in the first century, if you don't remember who the Gentiles are, they simply are the non-Jewish people. Jewish people had two boxes. You're either Jew or Gentile. You're either us or you're them. And the Gentiles, they had a hard time bringing into the faith. They, they thought and hoped it was Christianity. Jesus was just a Jewish thing. And Jesus kept saying, no, you're going to go from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, right? And Peter's going, yeah, 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 but, but, but Jews, right? Just the Jews to the ends of the earth. And Jesus like, no, 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 we're going to go much bigger. We're going to tear down your box. We're going to build bridges. We're going to do much more than what, the way that you're thinking. But Peter struggled with that one area. And so in this chapter... God is going to ask Peter to go to Caesarea. Now, Caesarea doesn't mean anything to me and you. You see this map. You'll see the distance that it is from Jerusalem. Here's, the, here's, here's what's interesting about Caesarea. It's a Gentile city. It's where those people live. Not only is it a Gentile city, but it's also a city where Rome had come down and they were sort of occupying Israel. And this was the Roman occupation capital of Israel was found there in Caesarea. In other words, from a Jewish perspective, this was everything that's wrong with Israel is found in Caesarea. It's the Romans who are who are capital who have made that their capital and it's where it's a predominantly gentile city. Whatever we do, we will never go to Caesarea. And that's exactly where God is about to ask Peter to go and he's going to come to a crossroads. And he's going to have to decide. Now, as we begin looking at this story, here's all I want you to be wrestling with in your own heart is this question. 
If you have a group of people that you tend to diminish because they see something, an issue differently or they are different, whether it's their exterior or their interior, whether they like country music or whatever it is, right? What is the cost to that? Is there a cost to that? What is that costing us to judge someone else? And that's what we're going to discover, I believe, in this chapter as we look at it together. All right, let's look at it. Acts chapter 10, and let's pick up this incredible and very dramatic story. Acts chapter 10, beginning in verse 1, it says, At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, and we'll find out who he is in a second. He's a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. So, so just know, Cornelius, he is a Gentile. So he's one of those people from Peter's perspective. He's also um, someone who was a commander, a Roman commander over probably a hundred men. So he's a powerful, so he's also one of those people because he's representing the occupying army of Rome. He's also one of those people because he is a believer in the Bible. And wait a minute, that was just for us. How does he know about the Bible like we do? He's a foreigner. He's one of those people. And he also is missing something. As holy as we are about to talk about Cornelius is, we're going to discover in this chapter that something is missing in his life. And it's pretty profound what happens at the end to solve this problem. Now, look at verse 10. Now that we've been introduced to Cornelius. Cornelius and all his family were devout. They were God-fearing. Okay, They gave generously to those in need, and they prayed to God regularly. One day, at about three in the afternoon, gives the specific time, that'll come back into the story later, Cornelius had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, I love that, very personal and powerful. Cornelius stared at him in fear, I would too, and he says, well, what is it, Lord? And the angel answered and said, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa, it's another city, to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter, and all of a sudden he's going to show back up in our story. He is staying with another Simon, a different guy named Simon the Tanner, which is the lower economic status job, whose house is by the sea. Now, here's the thing. Peter has no problem being associated with this man who has a lower economic job, and yet he does have a problem being associated with Gentiles. So it's not like he's just looking down on everybody, but there is somebody that he tends to look down on. And so here's the question for you and me. Have you yet identified in, the, in your own heart, who are those people that you tend to look down on? We all have them. And I think they change from season to season as to who they are. People who like certain things a certain way, people who are outspoken on certain things, but, or people who aren't strong enough in their you know, conviction or whatever it is. But we have people who we tend to judge because they tend to be different or see things differently. And Peter's already figured out his boxes. and The verses are already going to reveal them to us. He's okay with the tanner. He's not okay with the Gentile. He's struggling to be okay with those people. Now, look at verse 7. It says... And when the angel who spoke to him, to Cornelius, had gone, Cornelius, he immediately called two of his servants and a devout soldier. So because of his devotion, he has a devout soldier 
who was one of the attendants, and he told them, here's what we're going to do. I want you basically, so everything that happened, and he sent them down to Joppa. So he says, I'm not going, you're going. You're going to go to Peter, who's not going to want you there. He's not going to like your kind of people. And you're not only going to go to him, you're going to go to him, and you're going to ask him to come here, where he's definitely not going to want to come. And they're going to go, why in the world would he do that? And he goes, I don't know. God just told me to do that. And God's telling me to tell you to go and do that. And they're thinking, well, that's good enough for us. So off they go. So they begin the trek, which is a long 30-mile trek to the city of Joppa from Caesarea. They're planning to get a man who's not going to want them and to convince him to go to a place he doesn't want to go but they're trusting God in the process meanwhile for several chapters Peter has not been in the book of Acts and now he's back look at verse 9 it says about noon the following day as they were on their way so they're on their journey and they're approaching the city Peter went up on his roof to pray which is very customary in the Hebrew culture He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. You ever done that? You're just so hungry you fall into a trance? I don't think that's quite what's going on. But it's a pretty cool dream because he's he's, he's praying, he's having this vision, and it's about food. I mean, it feels like this is a great vision from God. Like, let, let me have that vision, right? Yet there's a lot more to this vision. Look what it says. He fell into a trance, and he saw heaven open. Watch this. And something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. And it contained all kinds of four-footed animals. Four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Isn't that an odd dream? And then he was told, the voice said, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. Isn't that a great dream? Like, I don't know what the four-footed animals are if all of a sudden there are pigs there and they're like, Help yourself to some bacon and sausage, Peter. I know up until now you thought no, but it's game time. Get up, kill, and eat. He's got reptiles. I'm thinking I'm not wanting to get up and kill and eat that. I don't know what the birds are, but get up, kill, and eat that. But he is being told all these things about food. Now, here's what we're going to learn, though. As we get further into the chapter, we're going to realize this has nothing to do with food. It's a much wider story that God is revealing to Peter that it's not the food that's clean and unclean. He's revealing to him, you're seeing people as clean and unclean. And he's saying, I have made them all. They are all equally clean. So Peter's wrestling with, he's seeing a sheet, he's seeing meat, he's seeing birds, he's seeing reptiles. He's trying to figure out, what does this dream mean? Because this is paradigm shifting in his heart and in his world with his culture and his background. And look at the next verse. He responds, as you and I would have probably responded, surely not, Lord. There's no way you could mean what I think you mean. I have never, ever eaten anything impure or unclean. It's like, surely not, God. I mean, it feels like he's a little bit on his high horse, doesn't it? Like, God, like, like, God, I don't know how you do things in heaven, but let me tell you how I do things. I don't eat that kind of food. I mean, the God told us in the Old Testament, this is how we eat and this is how we do things. So that's the way I do things. As if God needs Peter's permission to tell him something. But I pray that way all the time, don't you? Where, where you just sense God's leading you to an uncovered place. You're like, God, I don't know if you know this, right? This is what Peter is doing. He's beginning to negotiate because he is having to be convinced this is such a paradigm-shifting vision. But look at the next verse. It says, the voice told him a second time, do not call anything. And we could even say where he's going to eventually go is don't call anyone. He said, do not call anything impure that God 
has made clean. Now, this is about to be real game-changing for Peter. And Peter's still thinking, wait a minute, this doesn't make any sense. So look what Peter's thinking. While, while God gives him the vision again and keeps talking to him, it says, this happened three different times. And immediately, the sheet was taken back to heaven. It's almost like, I, I wonder, was that like a video screen that dropped down and he had no other words? He just called it a sheet, right? And he's seeing this vision and he's seeing all these four-legged animals, these reptiles and these birds. Don't call it clean and unclean. Everything's clean. God has made it clean. It's, it's a new day. And Peter's like, wait a minute, what did I just see? Like, what's that about? And he comes three different times because Peter is so ironclad against what he's against. He has decided it's those people and us. And God is saying, no, I want you to see them as made in my image and equally clean. And Peter's like, I, I, I don't have a... I don't know what to do with that. Now look what he's thinking. Look in the next verse it says, while Peter was still wondering about the meaning of the vision. He's, he can't get it off his mind. He keeps thinking, did I misunderstand God here? This makes no sense. While he was still wondering about the vision, look what it says. The men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and they stopped at the gate. You know why they stopped at the gate? They didn't feel like Peter would let them in because they knew that he diminished them and they felt unclean in his eyes. Now some of you know exactly what that feels like to be stopping at the gate. And Peter, because of the way he sees people, people stop at the gate. And watch what it says. And they called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. They have no idea that Peter has been having a vision as well. And that Peter has actually been told by God that they are on their way. They're simply going because Cornelius said go. And so they're there thinking we're now at a Gentile's house who doesn't want us here. And we're going to ask him to go to the one place he doesn't want to go. Meanwhile, you know what Peter's doing? Look what Peter's doing. Then it says, while Peter was still thinking about the vision, he can't get this off his mind. He's thinking, sheet? meat, birds, snakes, like this doesn't make any sense. And the people are rattling the gate out in front and he's thinking about the vision. He can't get it off of his mind and then watch the Spirit speaks. And it says, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up, go downstairs, do not hesitate to go with them for I have sent them. And I know Peter at that moment, he pulls out his iPhone, he pulls up the Ring app, he looks in the doorbell, camera and he sees these three guys at the door at the gate and he walks down there and sure enough they're there and watch the conversation Peter went down and he said to the men I'm the one you're looking for why have you come again what's this all about my world is my head is spinning as my world is changing Peter what's this about so the men replied, well, okay, here's the bottom line. We came from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man. I want you to know that. You, I know you don't like Gentiles, but I'm telling you he's a good man. He's righteous, God-fearing, and he is respected by other Jewish people. So Peter, come on, he's, he, he's a good guy. You got to like him. They're selling Cornelius to Peter. You get that? They feel they have to upsell their friend, their leader. And so they're just selling Cornelius. And, and, and by the way, one last thing. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to... <clears throat> to his house in Caesarea Peter we want you to go to the one place we know you don't want to go why so that he could hear 
what you have to say. They come with so much humility. Peter, we know you're a hero of the church. And they humbled themselves. And they said, Peter, we believe God has something to say through you for us. And how could you? How could you not listen to that? Peter's, his head is spinning and watch his response. Then Peter invited them into the house. That's a big, big deal. Jews didn't do that to Gentiles. To be his guests. The odds are they stayed the night because they had a long trip 30 miles back that was going to take a couple of days to get back to Caesarea from Joppa where they were. And right now, Peter is at a crossroads. It's a crossroads a lot of us have been at, and we know all about this crossroads. Okay, I've been confronted with something, and maybe some of us are even thinking in our hearts right now, yeah, there are some people that I tend to look down on because of, and you've got your, you know, your reasons. Now what do you do? That's where Peter was. You see, Peter has been confronted with the fact that God doesn't see the people unclean that he was seeing unclean. Now what does he do, though, with that? And now they're sitting in his house saying, we believe God wants to use you to share something with us. And I can't help but think in this moment, Peter is automatically considering the cost. I have a traditional diminishing of a certain group of people. And now they're sitting in my home. And they're telling me that God wants me to say something to them. And all of a sudden, I wonder if it dawns on Peter. God wants to use me to reach out to people I tend to look down on. And that's the cost. Not only am I diminishing the image of God in them, God has revealed that they are in the image of God. Not only am I diminishing what God did by sending his son Jesus on the cross to pay for these people's sins just like he did mine. But God wants to use me in reaching them. Is it, if you were, you think about it, if you were, you know, we recognize that there are battle of spiritual warfare out here that's much bigger, we can't see, we don't know, the Bible talks about that, and we just kind of go, I don't know exactly what that is, but I believe there's something out there I don't completely understand. But you think about it, doesn't Satan sort of tee things up by getting us to diminish a certain amount of people that God actually is going to plan to use us to reach? Wouldn't it make sense? What if the people that we are diminishing because we disagree with them are the very people that God is wanting us to reach, that he is wanting us to share Jesus with? And that's exactly what happened in this story. The very people he was diminishing are the very people God had in his infinite plan for him to reach. What if that's the cost? Is the mission of Jesus Christ, of sharing his love with other people, that if that's at stake, well, that changes everything, doesn't it? And I think that's what Peter is wrestling with in this moment. What do I do in this moment? He doesn't understand everything. He doesn't understand why he's always been taught that Gentiles are bad, and now he's being asked to go to Caesarea. But here's what I love about this moment. In this moment, he decides, I don't understand, I don't understand everything, but I have enough that I can obey. And here's what I believe God will always ask of us. Even when you don't fully understand, obey what you know. Obey what you know. You probably have enough to take a step of obedience. And man, a lot of us are there today, right? Where there's something in your life that you just don't understand. Why is that in my life? Why is that in this world right now? Why is this going on in our culture? Why is this a challenge in my family? 
and you don't fully understand it. And God is asking you to obey what you do know. And that's where Peter is in this moment. And I want you to see how he finally responds the next morning. The next day, it says, Peter, he got up and he started out with them. He brought along some of the believers from Joppa who also went along. So he takes some of his friends. He takes probably some of his group. Better safe than sorry. There's safety in numbers. I don't know what he's thinking, but he's not going alone. But he is going to Caesarea. I love that. And the following day, so it takes a while to get there, they arrive in Caesarea. And I can't help but think Peter's walking in this city. And he gets into the city limits and he looks around. And he's smelling sausage. Like he's smelling all the things these Gentiles always eat. He's seeing these Roman soldiers everywhere. And he knows this is not home turf anymore. He feels so out of place as he walks around and he sees the marketplace and he sees these non-Jewish people. He doesn't fully understand why God brought him to this uncomfortable place, but he's continuing to be obedient anyway. And then it says, Cornelius was expecting them. I love this. Man, you're talking about faith. Something's missing. We're going to find out what it is, but he's already got faith. Something, uh, Cornelius was expecting them, and he called together his relatives and his close friends. God is on the move here. Cornelius is beginning to gather people. He's anticipating. He's waiting. He knows something special is about to happen. And when Peter shows up, Cornelius is not surprised. But watch how he responds at Peter's presence. You're talking about having a VIP in your home. He's the, he's the church hero, right? And he looks and watch how he responds. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. And see, here's another danger, isn't it? We're either, te- we're either tempted to look down on people or bow down to people. We, we love the hierarchical system, don't we? Like we'll bow down to a, to, to a celebrity or, or to an influencer or to an athlete or, or to someone who's, who's prominent because it's almost like we desire these little godlike characters that we can somehow see ourselves in them and we can live life vicariously through them and the other side is or I'll look down on people who aren't quite I don't see them as having the value I have because they see something differently than I see it this is the pendulum right and here Cornelius bows down and I can't help but think Peter is so embarrassed in that moment look at his response when he sees him bow down Peter says Peter made him get up and he said stand up I am only a man myself I can't help but think in this moment Peter thinks back to the moment that he was denying Jesus publicly three different times. And he says, I am not worthy to be bowed down to. I know who I am. I am just a sinner, just like you. And without Christ, I wouldn't be worthy. But because of Christ, I'm completely worthy. All of a sudden, I wonder if that dream is starting to make sense. Maybe this thing's not about animals after all. Maybe it has something to do with people. Because now I'm standing where God wants me to stand, and there's somebody here who is spiritually hungry. What in the world is God up to? Look at the next verse. It says, while talking with him, Peter went inside, and he found a large gathering of people. I just got to tell you, when Cornelius got serious about his faith, that man got serious about his faith. He's talking to everybody he knows. And, you know, we keep using that word oikos, which means it's the group of people who are already in your life who don't know Jesus. And 
Cornelius gets serious to find those people and bring them to his home. That's why we keep saying we ought to be praying three, for three people every single day who don't know Jesus, who are already in your life. And if you don't know three people, then pray that God gives you three people in your life who don't know Jesus. So that when the opportunity is there, you can gather those people and God can do something. That's where Cornelius is. He's gathered his people and he's ready for Peter to share what God has for him to share. And watch as Peter begins to talk. Man, I'm telling you, if Peter shows up, I always want him preaching because something supernatural always happens. And watch as Peter begins to talk. He immediately addresses the elephant in the room. I love his transparency. He said to them, well, you're all well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a visit to a Gentile. You all know it's illegal for me to even be here. I am breaking every rule and law I know of to have walked into this city and to be in this home. So let's just get that out there. This is really hard for me. I love how transparent he is to start off. And then he says, but God, God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Now, that's like I'm cheering Peter on. Way to go. Way to own that. And then I look at my own heart and I'm like, ah, sometimes I don't, I don't think that. And so I just want us to read the first part of that verse again. But God, would you just read that with me? Just that first part all the way through the word unclean. Let's just say that out loud with me. Say it with me. But God has shown. Amen. We could stop right there and stop the service and say, God, would you for the rest of my life help me live that half of the verse out? And that would be a massive, massive job, wouldn't it? Now, I can't do that on my own, but God can do that through me just like he did Peter. And in that moment, Peter is realizing something he had never realized before, that he tended to judge people because of their difference, just like you and I do. Not because we're just these horrible people, but because we sometimes have a stubborn, thorny weed that grows in our heart, and there are moments we get to uproot it, unless, of course, we resist that it's there, and we defend it, and then God has to do a more difficult work. But to Peter's credit, he said, I don't care what news channel you watch. You're not unclean. I don't care how you feel about the pandemic. You're not unclean. My God knows that you're made in his image and that your greatest need is Jesus. And I'm here to not lose sight of the main thing. Peter, watch what he says in the rest of the verse. So when I was sent for you, I came without raising any objection. Now, why have you sent for me? Do you know what this is all about? I'm thinking he had a message ready. He was preparing. He had a day and a half to travel. Like, what's he been doing? Surely he shows up ready with a devotional or something. But instead, he's saying, why have you sent for me? There's this cultural divide. He calls it out. And then Cornelius answered him, and he goes on to say, well, actually, at this very exact minute, so he's, I'm just going to summarize the next few verses. He's basically saying, I had a vision and when God was working on your heart, God was working on my heart. Isn't that crazy, Cornelius says? In fact, it's at the very minute you showed up in my house, 72 hours ago, I had the vision. Wow, that's God. And then it was God who told me to go to you. And so I sent the people and they asked you to come and you actually came. So I gathered my people and so, yeah, that's what this is about. So in other words, I don't know what this is about. I just know who's behind it. That's what Cornelius is saying. 
Now here's the really good news. When God puts someone on your heart, there's a good chance he's working on their heart. Let me say that again because some of us feel uncomfortable when God puts someone on our heart like, oh man, he's asking me to talk with them. How does that feel? I totally get it. I'm there with you. But when God puts someone on your heart, he's probably already working on their heart, which gives us courage to step into what God is up to. And when you go to them and you can't say, hey, what do you want? Because they're going to go, I don't know, but I've been thinking the same thing. This is how this is going down. Peter's like, what do you want? And they're like, I don't know, but but God's been talking to me about something. Peter, what do you got, right? And then Peter does this fascinating thing. Look at verse, uh, let's see. Then Peter began to speak. And look what he says. I now realize. In other words, now I know what that dream is about. It's finally making sense now that I've heard from you, Cornelius, and the fact that you had a vision too. Watch what he says. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message of God sent to people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is, say these last three words with me, Lord of all. See, before then, he would have said Lord of the Jews. But because of the vision and because he's standing there with Cornelius and Cornelius is saying God is speaking to him, all of a sudden he goes, I now realize he is Lord of all. And that is the day it changed in Peter's eyes. That is the day when all of a sudden he realizes Jesus died for everyone. Jesus died for everyone. That is the day that Peter realizes that there is more. In fact, there's a, there's a little phrase I was thinking about this week that hopefully it doesn't sound like I'm trying to be too cute, but hopefully it's just a little bit more portable. And it is this. Anyone I come across, Jesus died for on the cross. Amen? In other words, anybody I can look in the eyeball, Jesus died for on the cross. Anyone I come across, Jesus died for on the cross. And this is dawning on Peter for the very first time. And then in the next few verses, he recaps all of the gospel. And what he tells these people is, he says, listen, at the end of the day, I want you to know that a perfect Jesus came from heaven because he wanted to pay a price you and I can't pay. You're a sinner, I'm a sinner. In fact, I can tell you about the facts that I denied Christ publicly three times. I am a sinner, he said. But this Jesus came from heaven to earth, and then he was baptized by John publicly. And then he goes on to tell them that he performed miracles in ministry for three years in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. And then he goes on to say that he also was eventually crucified on the cross and paid the sin debt for me. And then he goes on to say, I saw the resurrected Jesus. I'm telling you with my own eyes, I can tell you with confidence that he rose from the dead. Peter will, by the way, eventually be martyred making that claim. And then he said, but then Jesus gave me purpose. He commissioned me and all the apostles and he gave us purpose. And Cornelius and them are listening And they're listening to Peter. And I can't help but think Peter's getting more fervent in his pitch. And he's beginning to rise and they're starting to listen. And they're on the edge of their seat. And just like God, he interrupts his sermon. And Peter never gets to finish his sermon. I want you to see 
a sermon being interrupted. And this is a really good way to have a sermon interrupted. Look at verse 43, it says, verse 44, it says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. Remember we said that there was something missing for Cornelius? This is it. This is what he was missing. He knew of God. He had an intellectual awareness of God, but he had yet to be surrendered to God and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And in this moment, the Holy Spirit comes down and does what only the Holy Spirit can do. And all of a sudden, things begin to change for this entire group. Message over. Holy Spirit's here. Thank you very much. God the Holy Spirit has shown up. Now watch what happens because it says the circumcised believers, these are the Jews, who came, they came with Peter and they were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. You see the way that even reads? Even on Gentiles, even on those people. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. In other words, they responded the exact same way the Jewish Christians had responded in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit came on them in this transitional season and they spoke in tongues in the same way here. They respond the same way and all of a sudden the Jewish people are going, wait a minute. God will move in their life just like he moves in our life. God sees value in them just like he does in us. And it doesn't matter the way... I have been taught or the way that I thought God worked, all of a sudden I'm beginning to realize, wait a minute, God sees equal value in them and God wants me to actually reach and serve them. Everything's changing in this moment. Finally, Peter says, and I love this as we wrap up this chapter, surely no one can stand in the way. Surely no one can stand in the way, Peter says, of these people being baptized. In other words, he's saying, they are no longer Gentiles in my eyes. They are no longer Roman soldiers in my eyes. They're my brothers in Christ. They're my sisters in Christ. They are my spiritual family. And nothing can stand in the way of them being baptized. Isn't that a beautiful place to watch Peter's transformation and this stony, uh, stubborn root being pulled up out of his heart and all of a sudden something's changing and he goes, nothing can stand in the way of them being baptized. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. Just as, I would underline that in my Bible, just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and then they asked Peter, to stay with him for a few days. Peter, you can stay here anytime. Peter, me casa, you casa. Like, we're all in on this because we're a spiritual family now. Let's wrap it up. I want to ask you a real personal question. What's standing in your way? What is standing in your way right now? Maybe you're here. Maybe you don't normally do church or maybe you do. Maybe you come regularly and you're at the place where you hear all of this and you realize like Cornelius, something's missing in my life. Something's just missing. I, I, I'm here, I don't feel like I have that purpose. I, I'm here, but I don't feel like I have that, that connection with God. And, and like Cornelius, I try to do some good things. I try to understand some things. I try to influence others, but, but something's just missing in my life. And maybe as you see Peter go through the gospel story there again, maybe there's a sense in which the Holy Spirit is drawing you even today here and inviting you to begin a personal relationship with this God. 
A God who isn't looking so much for you to earn your relationship, but to trust him in the relationship. To surrender and say, God, I'm going to obey even what I don't understand in this world. I'm going to surrender even when I don't fully understand what's going on. And maybe that's you and you say, you know what? There is nothing standing in the way. I, I, I'm just, I just need to take that final step. I just need to cross that line of faith. I need to get into the place where I say, God, I am following you and you alone. You will not be an addition to my life. You will be my life. And if you're ready to pray that prayer, if you want to make that decision, I, I just don't want to finish this up without giving you the opportunity right now to make that decision. So once again, would you all do this? If you're here in the room, would you just close your eyes? Would you just maybe lower your head and give everyone else a privacy of this moment? And if that's you and you're ready to cross the line of faith, would you just pray in your own heart this prayer after me? There's nothing magical about it, but it's your decision to cross the line of faith and to discover what's been missing in your life. We just pray this prayer. God, I admit that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. God, I believe that you sent your son Jesus on the cross to pay for my sin, and you rose him from the dead three days later to pay the price I could never pay, and I accept that payment in full today. And now I confess Jesus as Lord of my life. God, I want to do my best to live the rest of my life for you. As you lead my path now, you are in charge. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, there's a QR code on the screen. You can just click on that. We would invite you to let us know. Here's why. I just want to pray for you and I want to celebrate with you the greatest decision you could ever make. And last, I just want to let you know, if you've yet to take the step of baptism, I love what Peter said, what's standing in your way? This is a significant spiritual step. We have a baptism three weeks from today, September the 12th. If you would also take out your phone and click on that QR code, let us know. You would like more information about that baptism, and we would love the opportunity to walk you through that. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for loving us too much to not constantly remind us that we are all equal at the foot of the cross. And we come to you knowing, though we are tempted to bow down to others and look down on others, that we all want to look up to you and help us to continue to be beggars, helping other beggars find the food. Oh Jesus, we love you, we need you. Help us do work in the areas where work is needed, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope today's message was an encouragement to you. And if you'd like a little more information about our church, just visit us on our website at lifepointplano.org.